Sorry. We're going to talk this morning about uh, the, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is already and not yet. Um, this is one of our, uh, actually one of our core values. Uh, but as we've been uh, beginning our class on kingdom identity, um, this, is, this topic has really come to the forefront. We've been talking a lot about what the kingdom of God is. This is one of the biggest topics that we have at this church and we will not get away from it, the kingdom of God. Um, and for reasons that, um, if they're not clear, hopefully they will be clear uh, today. Um, I, just a, a brief story here, you guys, most of you know this, we've talked about this many times. Um, it, the kingdom of God was a theme in the Old Testament, um, and here was one example. Uh, you might remember King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had this dream of this statue, and uh, it was a very intricate dream, and he told Daniel, the prophet, about it, and Daniel explained to him that this statue in his dream represented a whole bunch of empires. Uh, the statue had a head of gold that represented Babylon, had chest and arms of silver that represented medial Persia that would soon knock off Babylon. Um, it had thighs of bronze that would represent Greece, legs of iron and feet of clay that would represent Rome. Um, so... Uh, uh, Daniel, uh, here's the vision, here's, here's what uh, happens in the vision. A stone was cut out without hands, uh, and it struck the statue, it falls from a, a mountain, it struck, strikes the statue on its feet of iron uh, and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel goes on to, in his interpretation, says, in, in, in the days of those kings, especially we're referring to the, the, the feet, the days of the Roman Empire, the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. The prophets of the Old Testament looked forward with longing for this day when a new kingdom would arise, and centuries later, it would come. The great uh, uh, scholar John Bright wrote this, this wonderful book on the kingdom of God in, in 1951. I highly recommend it. If you want an overview of the Old and New Testament, to see the redemptive thread all the way through it, especially the coming of the kingdom of God, I highly recommend this book. And excuse me, I'm going to take a drink of water because I've been holding this for five minutes. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me. Here's what John Bright says. To the Old Testament, the fruition and victory of God's kingdom was always spoken of in the future tense. Behold, the days are coming. It shall come to pass in those days. But in the New Testament, we encounter a change. The tense is a resounding present indicative. The, the kingdom is here. And that's a very new thing indeed. It is gospel, the good news that God has acted. Now, here's where that comes in, obviously, is when Christ himself comes. And here was his message. Everywhere he goes, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven, synonymous with the kingdom of God, is at hand. In other words, it's here. Jesus comes and he inaugurates this kingdom. All the centuries, people have been waiting for this to happen. There's a beautiful hymn that, that, that talks about Jesus as the desire of the everlasting hills. The hills have been longing, creation's been longing for the king to finally come, and he comes. It's the inauguration of the kingdom. 
And you see this all the way through his ministry as he begins to expound on what the kingdom of God means. And he even has, you know, sort of comes to, to a head when he's standing before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, are you a king? And what does he say? He doesn't say, I will be. He says, yes, I am. Present. But my kingdom is not of this world. Present. You with me so far? He explains what the kingdom of God actually looks like. And he does this in so many different parables, and I'll give you a couple of them. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Or... He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So we have three different pictures here that I've mentioned already, and he has so many analogies about what the kingdom is. But these three that I've mentioned actually have sort of a similar theme. You have a stone, right, that starts small, and then it becomes a mountain and fills the earth. You have a seed that starts out tiny, it's in the ground, and then it becomes a tree that even the birds can rest in its shade. It's a little tiny bit of, of, of dough, and you got that yeast in there, and the dough rises and becomes bread that can feed a family. The kingdom of heaven starts small and grows, but there's something, there's, there's an uh, inherent truth that's, that's within all three of these parables. Um, that it, it's, it's subtle, but it's this. It takes time for the kingdom to grow. There's a gap between the kingdom's inauguration and its fulfillment. Do you see that? In each one of these parables, there's a gap. In other words, it starts as a mustard seed, but it didn't just, whoop, well, there's the tree. It's not like a, a, the Star Trek uh, two, the, the Genesis Project, life from non-life, forget it, sorry. Where's Elisa? <laughs> there you are, you got that, right? Yeah, there you go. It doesn't just pop up. This is, this is a process. It starts very, very small, and it grows into something big, but it doesn't happen right away. So we have these kinds of parables um, that are, are very present. Um, here's the fulfillment of the kingdom. We look forward in the book of Revelation to what that fulfillment is, is going to be like. So here it is. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. That is the completion of his kingdom. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're not there yet. So here we have three distinct eras. We have pre-kingdom that we mentioned here, the Old Testament. We have kingdom rising. These aren't theological terms, by the way. Don't Google these. I'm just <laughs> trying to explain this in broad strokes here, right? We have the pre-kingdom, right? Um, 
the kingdom rising, the, the New Testament, the church era, um, and the kingdom fulfilled, which is Christ's return. In case you're wondering where we live, we live right here. Now, duh, you say, right? But this is really, really important because there are some implications that can come in. They're subtle implications. But if we misunderstand where we are in relation to the kingdom of God, we're going to wind up in cases of, of bitterness towards God, of making no sense whatsoever in our Christian witness of the world, and a, a place of, of a, it, it being impossible, it would be impossible for us to be fulfilled, impossible for us to be able to relate to him, I think, on the level that he wants us to. Let me explain. You see, we are in kingdom rising. If we think, for example, that we, uh, uh, that, that the, um, if we think we're in the pre-kingdom era, if we think, well, the kingdom of God hasn't yet been established at all, here's probably where you're gonna end up. You're gonna end up reading a whole bunch of rapture fiction. That's kind of a joke. Some of you guys might have loved rapture fiction. That's great, congratulations, that's fun. Just remember that the, the, the word fiction is the noun there. It's just... <laughs> you're probably going to end up looking at this world and wanting to escape from it. There's nothing wrong with reading that fiction. I, it's not my cup of tea, but there's nothing. You, you, you get me wrong. Yeah, thank you. Just want to be sure. Like, I've offended a whole bunch of people who loved Left Behind back in the day. I, I, didn't, I didn't read it. Maybe it was amazing. Um, but you're probably going to want to end up looking at the, the world and wanting to escape from it because it's irredeemable. And until Jesus comes and makes it half decent, then we just want to go. And I think this is one reason people got so obsessed with the end times. I'm glad that that's cool. I really am. Because I don't think it did us a whole lot of favors in the church. But you're going you're to be thinking about that and you're going to be missing the beautiful things that God's already done in this earth. Let me give you just one little example. We look a lot, we, you, know, you think of what are, the, what are the, the, the worst evils of the day, and one of the first things that people nowadays would say, and rightly so, is human trafficking. Terrible, horrific thing that goes on. People say there's slavery, there's slavery going on, and yes, it's horrible. And you know what's beautiful? Is that it's pretty much universally acknowledged as horrible. Do you realize what a huge shift that is? Do you know in the days of the Roman Empire, about a third of the Roman Empire were slaves? And that was just the way it was. The ancient world was a horrible, horrible place. And Jesus stepped into the ancient world and he planted a mustard seed. That's just one tiny example. I could go on. We could do a, we could do a whole week of, uh, of teaching on just the way the world has changed since Jesus touched it. Now, if you don't understand that he's come, you're, you're probably gonna end up bitter and upset about how bad things are. However, if you misunderstand, now nobody, nobody really think, or very, very few people actually think that Christ has come the second time and everything's been fulfilled, but people mistake the ramifications of his first coming and they take the ramifications of his second coming and they try to put it on now. And so they say, well, Jesus come, so Jesus has come, so that means, that means, boom, an eradication of all these bad things on earth. And that means, that, that means automatically, because the Holy Spirit's given us gifts, and because there are miracles, and miracles are always supposed to happen, and then, and we believe this, and, and, and then we pray, and we see a miracle doesn't happen, and we get completely devastated. Now, 
rightly so, that we're devastated when God doesn't come through at times. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but see, here's the thing. If we understand that we live between kingdoms, at least we have an understanding of, oh, that's right. When Jesus comes back, he sets all things right. But there's a difference. See, we're living in between these eras. We're living in an age where Christ has come touch the world, where the Holy Spirit has given us gifts and fruit and and where we can affect the world around us and, and where we can call on him for breakthrough. And sometimes he does it miraculously and sometimes he doesn't. Do we have a grid for that? Do we have an understanding for that? You won't if you think that everything has already been taken care of, you see. Now let me explain a little bit further. Let me give you this analogy, and I've done this before, but not with a map, so this makes it all new. This is Europe in early 1944. That red represents the Nazis and their friends. Look at that map. Isn't that scary? They wanted to march across the earth. Incredible evil. And they occupied virtually all of Western and Central Europe, and they wanted to expand more. That's early 1944. Something changed in June of 1944. Now, this is a bit of a time lapse, but I just want you to look at France. Don't don't worry about the rest. Did you see it? You didn't even see it. Ah, here, let's just do this. Ha! Look at that. You see that? A little tiny strip of blue. D-Day, June 6, 1944, the largest amphibious assault in the history of mankind. Tens of thousands of men jumping in harm's way and storming the beaches of Normandy. Immense loss, but an immense gain, immeasurable gain. You see, once they grabbed the beachhead, it was the beginning of the end. You see, within a year, that blue up there, it spread. It spread. And the armies of the Allies marched through France, and they marched through Central Europe, and they marched through Italy, and they marched to Germany. And within a year, it looked like that. Here's the analogy. Jesus' first coming is like D-Day. His second coming is like VE Day, Victory Over Europe Day. Do you see the difference? This is the kingdom of God, and we've got to see that. We don't live in VE day, and that's why we still experience this other stuff. You know where we are right now? We're marching. We're marching through Europe right now. And there's hardship, and there's death, but there's also victory and breakthrough. Because our kingdom has a beachhead. Our kingdom's been established. Are you with me? So, here we are, kingdom rising. As is often said, as we often say, the kingdom is both already and not yet. Now, this comes to us in obvious places, and each one of you feels this in a different place. I feel it very acutely in my life with my son, Jack. This is very, very apparent to me, and in fact, I kind of live here. I don't know if you you guys can relate, but I kind of live here. We're in a charismatic church. I've seen 
people be healed. My own dad was miraculous. I've told this story. My dad being miraculously healed of cancer and wanted, like he should not have been lived past his, his 15th birthday. We've seen beautiful, amazing things happen, and yet we have unfinished things right in front of us, and I have a son who still can't communicate with me. So what do I do with that? We, um, we took Jack this week. I wrote about this. Some of you guys saw this. But, um, we took him to Dornbecker up in Portland this week uh, for a sleep study, and that meant we had to keep him up all night, <laughs> which... Might actually sound worse than it is, because once he's awake and he's got Winnie the Pooh on, it's all, you know, you don't have to do much. And so thankfully, um, Sarah stayed up with him, and then Jenna took a shift, because my daughters are amazing that way. And, and uh, so at 5.30, we, we load him into the van, and, and we take him over to Dornbecker. And uh, we get there uh, in time for his appointment. He comes in the exam room, and, uh, and we get in there, and we said, just take off your shirt, Jack. And he said, no, okay, or no, thank you. He's got these little phrases that he'll throw out, like, no, no, no. We're like, but you're going to have to go to sleep, you know. No, thank you. <laughs> okay. So we get these things hooked up to his head, and he's screaming for a bit, and then we get him to calm down. He's got all these all over his head. Then we wrap his head, or the nurse wraps his head with this bandage, and he lays down on the pillow, and Sarah lays down next to him. She's got his arm around him, and, and, uh, and we, we bring his essential oils diffuser, because that's a thing. And it's got this like glowing pyramid of mystery, you know? <laughs> So he has that on in his bedroom every night. So we brought that in, and, and so that's glowing over in the corner, and we turn the lights off, and we're, we put on his favorite story on the phone, and it's just looping, and, and he's just flipping around, and I'm just like, take off your shirt, man. Like, you don't sleep with it. He's, he never has his shirt on at home, I assure you. If you've been at my house, you have seen him without his shirt. He just does not put his shirt on. And he, he would go that way all the time if we would let him, probably. But it's, it's when he's home. He goes, when, I, when I feel comfortable, I take my shirt off, here I am. He wouldn't take his shirt off. And, and so he's flipping around for a, a long time, and we start getting nervous. The nurse comes back in and is like, yeah, well, we have another person, so I'm just going to go take care of them, and, and we'll come back. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to take too long, and they're going to tell us we can't do it. So we stay in there. Um, praying for him, trying to get him to relax, and, and, and finally he goes to sleep. And I, I just am sitting there thinking about the fact that he didn't take his shirt off, like he's sleeping now with his shirt. And I was thinking, good job. Good job. Because I don't want him to be in a place when he feels at home in that, it, it, getting tests done all the time, you know? Like, I don't want him to think, this is the norm, this is my life. I want his comfort to be reserved for when he's surrounded by family, when things are good, and so he understands there's a difference between those two things. I don't want this to be his life. He did fall asleep, and we got test results back the other night. I hope it's okay to share this. I was gonna ask Sarah, ah, that's probably fine, okay. It's probably fine. That's right. That's something you probably shouldn't say from a No, I think it's good. I mean, because I know a lot of you guys pray for us, so anyway. Uh, we got tests back that uh, there's, a, there's evidence of epilepsy, and that sounds like that would be a really 
hard thing, but we were looking for signs of that, because we're wondering, why does he keep regressing so much? And, and uh, so they said there's signs of epilepsy. Um, and so what that means is that we might be able to give him seizure medications that might hopefully maybe slow down those regressions or stop them so that he could grow without being set back, but we just don't know. So it introduces, obviously, new uncertainties and new fears, but here we are going, okay, well, we've been praying for uh, understanding. We've been praying for mysteries to be opened. We've been praying for breakthrough. And well, we've been praying for a long time that, that it would just all come together, right? That it would all come together and suddenly he just speaks and, and like just all the things that have been locked up inside him for all these years just finally come out. That hasn't happened and I don't know if it will ever happen because we live in the already not yet kingdom. We live in kingdom rising. We're marching through Europe. We don't know what we're gonna see. We know that sometimes the miraculous happens Sometimes you just pray, just even beyond even healing. Think about people with addictions. You ever heard of somebody who was a hardcore alcoholic and, and addicted to all manner of drugs, and they say, Lord, take it, and suddenly he just takes it, and they never touch the stuff again? Have you ever, I've heard people, there are people in this congregation that's happened to. It's beautiful. Why doesn't it happen all the time? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. We work with guys with intense uh, addictions. You heard their stories uh, a week ago here, the guys from Teen Challenge. We work with them over in the Life Change program at the mission. And it hasn't happened that way for any of them. They have to fight and claw and they pray and they throw themselves on the throne. And, and, and I don't think that their prayers are somehow, I don't think that's, that they're not doing it right. I don't believe that for a second. I think they're doing everything they can and they're exercising faith. It's not a lack of faith. They've thrown themselves at the feet of Jesus and for whatever reason, he hasn't chosen to pull the entire thorn out of the flesh. I don't know why. I don't know why it happens sometimes and why it doesn't. I don't know why physical healing happens sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Except this, we still live in a war zone. It's been touched by Christ. And he's going to come and make it all complete someday. But now we walk and we march and we hold each other and we pray and, and we pray for breakthrough and we pray for the miraculous and sometimes it doesn't come and sometimes we just need to rest and, and acknowledge here's where we are and Lord, we just need your grace to get through this because it might not happen and if it doesn't happen, that's okay because we have one another and we're brothers and sisters and we can surround one another and hold each other up. You see, which is more kingdom, to see a, a, a miracle take place or, or to hold a woman in an Indian maternity ward who's just been slapped and beaten by her doctor and he didn't do everything he could to save the baby and now the baby's gone and to embrace that mother like Abby's done? Is that somehow less kingdom? Do you see what he's called us to? He's called us to believe for big things, to cry out for big things, and to embrace one another because that's a big thing too. To be there for one another, to weep with those who weep, and to cry out for the day when all is made new because one day all will be made new. One day all this junk that we deal with is gonna be gone, guys. It might not happen in this life. I wanna talk to my son so badly. I wanna know what he sees. Some of you guys understand that really, really well. 
I want to know what he sees in those colors. I want to know why he flaps. I want to know what this word means. I want to understand when he's looking at me trying to formulate a sentence and it's not coming out. I want to know what that is. I want to know his heart. And I might never see inside his heart in this life. I might not. But I'm convinced of his love. And I know that one day, all the words that are trapped inside of him will come forth. And he's going to have songs. He's going to have victory songs. I know it. We live in occupied territory marching forth. That's what we do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. How many of us have cried in this past month? I have. You don't have to raise your hand. I have. Because we're not in the kingdom fulfilled era yet. There will be no more death. You guys, this has been a kind of a rough summer for us as a congregation. We've had lots of funerals here, and we've lost, in particular, three stalwart members of the kingdom who have been a mother and have been fathers in this house and have ministered and done amazing things to the kingdom of God, We're men and women of God, and they're not with us anymore. There's gonna become a day when we don't have to taste that separation. That's a wrong separation. We were never intended to have to taste death. And one day, one day we're not gonna have to anymore. There's gonna be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. How many of us still experience pain? How many of us are still dealing with physical pain? And like, why hasn't the Lord healed this thing? He healed this guy over here. I don't understand it. Why hasn't he healed me? And here's the answer. I don't know. We don't know. So one thing we never do is you never blame the person because, you, because they're living in, in the kingdom rising. They're not living in kingdom fulfilled. They haven't done anything wrong. So we march forward and, and we embrace and we pick one another up and we march arm in arm with them through the kingdom. And we say, to God be the glory. To God be the glory, whether I am healed or whether I am not. We can stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say, I believe he can, but even if he does not, I will not bow down to you foreign gods. But I will serve him regardless of what. That is, that, that is kingdom rising. Are you with me? You see, that this is what we're called to, guys. This is what it means. My question is, can we live there? Can we as a body live there to fully believe in the goodness of God and fully believe that, 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 that God wants to do great and amazing things? Can we live there understanding that, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available, but, but that until he comes back, it's not gonna be 100%, it never will be. In fact, we're still gonna taste a whole lot of death. We're still gonna taste a whole lot of suffering. Can we still say to God be the glory? So what's the point, you might say? What's the point of fighting in the trenches if we're all gonna die anyway, if we're all gonna experience all these things anyway? Aren't we fighting a losing battle? And I wanna answer you with this building. This is the Cathedral of Cologne in Germany. It literally took centuries to build this. Literally hundreds of years. The builders spent 250 years in beginning it. (laughs) 250 years. And then the building stops for a long time. I don't know what happened. I lived a life in the history of the building of these things. Totally, can you imagine they're doing this without any cranes and these things just tower over the sky? This is the leading uh, uh, piece of tourism in all of Germany. It's magnificent. Hundreds of years go by and then they take another 100 years and finish it up. 
centuries to build. Here's another view of it. Isn't that unbelievable? These were set to draw these cathedrals of the Middle Ages. I know we're really Protestant, and maybe that makes you feel weird, but here was the whole idea, guys. It's a beautiful thing. They're set to draw your eyes upward. When you looked at them, you looked up. When you come inside of them, you look up. And that's what we ought to be doing, looking up. So here you have builders who begin the foundation knowing full well it will be lifetimes before this thing is complete. And you know what they do? They build. They know it's gonna be bigger than them. They know their great-grandchildren will probably not even see it. Cathedral builders know that they're, they're building towards something that they won't be able to see the fulfillment of in this life. And we might, if he comes back, praise be to God, we'll see that. But for most of us, we probably will never see the culmination of the beautiful, mighty, glorious kingdom of God. Can we build it anyway? That's my question. Are you willing to build it anyway? Are you willing to continue to march and minister comfort to people who have lost, even if your prayers weren't answered like you hoped that they would? Are we willing to go, even though we might have healings that we're crying out for that don't happen, are we still willing to say, Lord, I will march on with you, and I will continue to build your kingdom, and I will continue to let you build me? You see, the scriptures say that we are temples. We are mobile cathedrals, you and I. And even the things we're crying out for with our own sanctification, we say, Lord, why is it that I'm still struggling with this thing? I'll tell you why. It's because we're in kingdom rising. That's why. And one day, he will complete the work he began in you in the day of Christ that will be completed. And all the things we've prayed for will be completed. But until that day, we build cathedrals knowing that the kingdom is a beautiful workforce and knowing that Berlin's gonna fall, and knowing that that mustard seed is gonna grow into a tree, and knowing that there's gonna be lots of bread, and knowing that that stone is gonna grow into a mountain. Are you willing to live in that place? That's what he's called us to, and that's what we can believe for faith in the midst of that journey. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, this morning I just asked for the gift of faith in your character. Will you give us faith in your character that no matter what it is that we see, we can still know your goodness inherently, not just intellectually, but even our automatic responses of our heart go to your goodness and go to trust. We do ask for an acceleration, Lord. We ask again, we remind you again of the things that are left undone. And then we march faithfully, Lord. We wanna march faithfully to do the things that you've called us to do regardless of all the things that are undone around us. So give us faith, Lord. We need more faith to trust in the work you're doing long-term, not just in the short-term things that we're crying out for, but we ask for faith to believe in your goodness, to believe in your power to complete all things in the day of Christ. Because there's a lot of bloodshed around us, Lord. So give us faith. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for choosing us to be workers in your kingdom. Thank you for choosing us to be sons and daughters to move alongside you in your cause. 
And we'll give you praise and glory regardless of the things that we see. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Prayer servant team will be up here if you need prayer for anything whatsoever. I encourage you to come up. We will see you guys next week. Thank you so much.